host and moderator, joined as always by three of my good friends and three of the best DC sports analysts around, Chris, Nick, and Rahul. What's up, guys? Yo. All what's right. Up? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I just love how late it is. I know. <laughs> Before we get anywhere, everyone listening, make sure to follow us on Twitter at uh, DC Sports Brain Trust and on Facebook as well. We also have an email that's uh, DC Sports Braintrust at gmail.com. Yes, sir, we'll be able to, and we'll include those handles in the description of the episode as well. Yes. And please be sure to uh, send any questions or comments that you have uh, to our Gmail, and we will take some time to answer them. On our Gmail, next. Twitter, Facebook, however you want to reach us. We, we'd love to hear from Absolutely. anybody and everybody. Absolutely. Okay. The Redskins draft. We'll start with Chase Young. The best, arguably best non-QB draft prospect in this entire draft, and the Washington Redskins got him. What do y'all think about that? I don't think there's much else. I don't think there's much to say, but I still want to hear your thoughts. So it was a good pick. <laughs> it was a, so I want to talk a little a bit about the circumstances around the number two pick and also Chase Young. So. Um, there were some articles that came out um, with uh, Ron Rivera interviewing that there was another prospect that they really liked that would have an immediate impact on the team. Well, there's three. The first one being Joe Burrow, of course. Others, the second is Chase Young, which we did pick. The last one was the cornerback, Chase Young's teammate, uh, Jeff Okuda. The problem was, if we did trade back with the Lions to five, we probably wouldn't have gotten a chance at Jeff Okuda. Like, let's say we traded back to five, the Giants then pick up uh, Chase Young, and the Lions pick Okuda. So they decided to stay put, stick to their guns, and choose the best defensive player in the draft. Yeah, just to follow up with that, um, I, I think a lot of this draft as a whole uh, modeled the free agency period of the Redskins they're not going for anything flashy they're not doing any they're not going too crazy they're they're staying put uh they're biding their time and they're waiting for certain players to kind of fall to them or not certain players they're just they're waiting for good players to fall to them nothing flashy um we'll we'll jump into that more yeah we'll jump into that more they definitely took that best player available approach and they kind of did neglect needs, as we'll get into at a later point. In this so podcast. if you could think of one word that kind of described how the Redskins approached this draft, what word would you all have in mind? Well, it's easy for me. Versatility. That's yeah. the buzzword word of the day. And Isn't it? it? Not only that, but you know, you can apply that to a lot of their draft picks. They're, they, uh, they drafted a lot of guys. Um, that can play multiple positions, whether it be on the O-line, whether it be on defense, whether it be as an uh, offensive weapon. Um, there were a lot of guys drafted probably for that purpose of being competitive on multiple fronts. You could also argue they did then the free agency um, with some of their running back selections, that they chose to go after versatile pieces that they can move all over the offense and the defense. Makes a lot of yep. sense. So I want to quickly run, refer to a pro football focus article that came out talking about uh, the Redskins and the Eagles saying that they had the most athletic draft class. How do y'all feel about that, that perspective? So this is a sentiment that was not only echoed by pro football focus, but next gen stats, which tied the Eagles and the Redskins with having one of the most athletic draft classes. I feel like kind of his MO, Kyle Smith's MO is to go over to go after athletes um, that do turn out to be good football players, not necessarily the most raw uh, athletes that are just athletes playing football but really going after people who have traits that they can mold into uh, specific positions on the Washington Redskins. And I really agree with this approach. Um, there have been some kind of slight deviances from this. Uh, one of the most notable ones is the Redskins selecting Ryan Anderson um, previously. <laughs> I know Nick and I have had some words about uh, that particular selection, but there as a whole, are trying to go after the more athletic players, even in the late rounds. 
Yeah, we've uh, a few names that come to mind: Fabian Moreau, Monte Nicholson, Troy Apke, Montez Sweat, Montez Sweat. Uh, a lot of these guys are combine freaks and very, very athletic, very fast. Uh, and you hope that some of them are more complete football players. Uh, you know, someone like Troy Apke was a little bit more raw. You know, and Fabian Moreau was coming off injury, but you know, a lot of that, that is pretty apparent looking back on previous drafts that that's what they go after is that athleticism and speed yeah and i'd like to talk about how the kyle smith draft approach is a bit different from the bruce allen approach in that bruce allen kind of disregarded the red flags and injury concerns that players would have had that they did end up drafting and he was kind of it felt like a bit of a laissez-faire approach um, for the later round picks, and he just let Kyle or whoever was um, in the draft do their thing. But it was definitely heavy involvement from Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen for the first few picks. And they, it was, how you say it, Nick, it was the cost of doing business, um, those yeah. red flags. <laughs> every every bad thing that ever happened to this team over the last 10 years is the cost of doing <laughs> business. If a guy not pan out, he's, it's the cost of doing business. <laughs> we piss him off while he goes out the door and we don't sign him. All right. That's speaking the cost of, of doing business. That's such of, a cop-out. Isn't it a cop-out, though? <laughs> it's just like, oh, dang, I messed up. You know, uh, Well, that, that's just how life is. Well, that's just how it works, fans. Uh, yeah. Well, Could I want to talk about another us. cost of doing <laughs> World is out to get us. Well, you all, well, you all bring up a good point because I want to talk about another cost of doing business, a story that has been going pretty rampantly in the Redskins media. Trent Williams, he is gone. He has been traded to the San Francisco Finally. 49ers for a fifth-round draft pick in this year's draft and a third-round draft pick in next year's draft. 49ers made a lot of moves this weekend. Or this yeah. Week. And they were all over the trade board, not only with Trent Williams. This was on the heels of Joe Staley announcing his retirement. So the 49ers did have a gigantic need at left tackle. So they swooped in, took advantage of the Redskins' dysfunctional moves of uh, the previous regime and were able to take Trent Williams for quite a steal. That fifth rounder, 21-3rd, is... I feel like is kind of an undervalue for Trent, but he did get devalued. And honestly, pretty much everyone in the Washington front office wanted him gone. So I think they actually got a solid, solid uh, return on him. I was expecting them to barely get anything at this point. I, uh, maybe, I maybe like, a, maybe like a fourth and a, maybe a seventh is kind of what I was pegging it at at this point, you know, not seeing them being able to, trade him the first two days i was like yeah they're just gonna have to bite the bullet on him seems like or hope for some injuries in a mini camp pretty much or a training camp if there yeah. is one yeah well or training <laughs> camp or or i mean injuries in general before the the trade deadline fair enough and, um, and they uh, ended up getting a solid third and fifth round which i mean the entire league knew that he wasn't going to be there after this year so the fact they got anything and- i think is pretty impressive Chris, just to uh, expand on that, Quinn Dunbar, a really great cornerback for us that was pretty much always injured, just went for a fifth-round pick to the Seattle Seahawks. So Trent Williams going for a fifth and 2021 third. I feel like a lot of the player trades, um, probably from the Redskins or probably around, have been kind of a little bit devalued from what we would expect in years past, and also looking at how much uh, DeAndre Hopkins got traded for, but... That may have been (laughs) the big thing for the Redskins. I think right now is that they're going through a rebuild and the fact that they're getting rid of some of these aging injured guys is definitely a step in the right direction. Even if you're just stockpiling some draft picks for the next couple of years, even if it is only like one or two for uh, a perennial pro bowler, like Trent Williams. And Nick, you, this is kind of like how Ron wanted like his way or his highway kind of approach. Like they have a specific plan in place for wanting to win, and that is very refreshing to what we have. How about how about we jump down a little bit, talk about some some what we think were some surprises coming out of the draft. Basically everything after round one. Well, um, we got to. We do got to bring up CD Lamb a little bit, right? Of course, yeah, of course. Like that, I was about that was... to. I was. I was about to bring that up. Actually. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to bring up pretty briefly actually what the division, the rest of the division did. Yeah. So let's go ahead and dive right into that then. So let's talk about CD Lamb. He was drafted by Dallas Cowboys, first round, 17th overall out of Oklahoma. Uh, he was a pretty big steal. Yeah. So when I I was really ruining this pick, and I like I felt like this would happen when I saw CD Lamb still uh, on the available players board. And it was like five picks away for the Cowboys pick. I was like, fuck, they're going to fucking do it. But I felt like this was kind of like, if we go back a few years, the Redskins selecting Jonathan Allen, where an excellent player, um, kind of the media perception of an excellent player, dropped down a lot further than people were expecting. And um, in John Allen's case, it was kind of more of teams having more information about his medical history and the state of his shoulders. But for CeeDee Lamb, I think it was just, the amount of great talent uh, that was in the early part of the first round and how the board was completely different from how other teams imagined it. So he kind of fell a lot further than he went. And he's kind of like the 1A to 1B for Jerry Judy, um, who went quite a bit earlier. Yeah, I I thought Judy and CeeDee Lamb, it it was basically a tie for who was the best receiver. But I had called early on uh, before the draft that Henry Ruggs was going to probably be the first guy off the board because you've got that Chiefs blueprint out there now winning on three of the fastest wide receivers on the field at one time. And so even though Ruggs was probably the third best receiver overall, uh, the 4-2-8 speed really, really jumped him up and, you know, of course, it makes sense that the Raiders would take him. That's that's kind of their mo. Um, but I, you know, I think it was a good pick for him. But speaking of speed, though, and just like the dearth of talent, C.D. Lamb, Mari Cooper, Zeke Elliott, and Michael Gallup. Oh man, does that give you like yeah. dream team vibes? Except the Cowboys version. Mm, I don't know because generally the dream team vibes is when you make all the all these decisions in one season. So like the Browns a year ago, making, was a couple making years all back. Those, yeah, yep. making all those trades at once. Um, and then, you know, trading for uh, Odell Beckham, having Jarvis Landry on the roster, a young quarterback you just drafted that there's a lot of potential with. Uh, they traded, uh, who was that linebacker the Giants had? Vernon Olive. Olivier Vernon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they drafted David and Joku. Um, they really remade their entire roster within about two seasons, and so that's why they really gave me the dream team vibe. And I knew they weren't going to mesh well because everybody's new. But you know, you had all these people saying, "Oh, they're going to the Super Bowl. They have all these great players." That's just not how it works. Yeah, now dream team vibe for me is more making like a bunch of free agent signings. It seems like the Cowboys are more doing draft picks. I mean, what the only and, and frankly, the, the only guy they picked up is Amari Cooper through trades, really. And and the Cowboys have They're had a good roster draft. for many years now. I mean, I, if you ask me, I think they've kind of underachieved, and that's kind of their mo. Yeah. Uh, is going to the playoffs and choking, but. I think they have one of the best rosters in the entire NFL. I think they've been drafting really well for the last five or six years. And, you know, the fact that they picked up probably one of the best players in the whole draft at number 17. Yeah. It's disappointing as a Redskins fan. Let's jump from the Cowboys, talk about the Eagles real quick. And one particular draft pick they picked up, a one Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma. What do y'all think about that? (laughs) I absolutely loved Jalen Hurts coming out of college. Um, I think he's the most pro-ready quarterback. Mostly more or less now. uh, I hate him now, but (laughs) but the fact is that he had success at two of the top football programs in the whole country, Alabama and Oklahoma, Um, and players that have shown the ability to do it at multiple programs in multiple schemes are the ones that can come into the NFL and be contributors right away. So I thought Jalen Hurts would have been best served going to Chicago, um, you know, where the QB spot is a lot more wide open and a third guy could probably come in there and win it, kind of like Russell Wilson did with the Seahawks. Um, And speaking of which, Russell Wilson similarly had success at two schools as well. And, you know, needless to say, he was probably the most pro-ready. He went in. He was a day-one starter as a third-round pick uh, and had a really good rookie year, and the rest is history. Um, 
Yeah, I think Jalen Hurts has some things he has to work on, um, mainly his deep ball accuracy, but his ability to extend plays, to run, to throw uh, the short and intermediate passes. Um, I, I think he could be a day one starter. It's just not going to be with Philadelphia. I actually think the opposite. Um, you know, Carson Wentz doesn't have clear the uh, you know that clean blank injury uh, record. Like he is, he gets injured season after season. You really need someone who can step in, has a relatively good floor, so you don't have to rely on them like Clayton Thorsoning it, another Eagles quarterback. Um, but it's just like you need to have someone there, and I don't mind the Eagles picking Jalen Hurts high and also grooming Carson Wentz's successor if that comes to pass. Yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty much saying to Carson Wentz because they did um, do a lot of work on the the offense and the defensive side of the ball, but they did pick up a couple of wide receivers and offensive linemen during the draft as well. Um, I think they're basically saying, you know, here's your team. If you fuck it up again this year, like, we're going to start – like we're already seriously thinking about moving on, but you know, if you get injured again, we're just going to have to move on to Jalen Hurts. Looking at the draft picks, I think the Eagles actually had, um, other than the surprises on day ones and two, the best day three out of all the teams. They picked up crazy talent, um, and that I really wish we had instead, like Prince Tagawanogo, Quez Watkins, Casey Tuhill, yeah, just like and Jack Driscoll even. There was a lot of talent that they were able to pretty much steal um, from the rest of the teams, and they might have had the best day three in the league. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really good viewpoint. Um, But why don't we go ahead and talk about the last team in the division, the Giants? I would, I mean, this is my perspective. I would say it's they they did a really good job at selecting players that aren't necessarily like the main playmakers, like wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks, but they did a good job building around them. Um, guys like Andrew Thomas, uh, offensive tackle they picked up in the first round, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, um, Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. I'd say they picked up a lot of good defensive pieces and a few solid offensive pieces in there too. What do you all think? I think they built – I think they had a lot of safe picks. Um, yeah. The guys that could translate to the NFL fairly well. I think Andrew Thomas is your fourth overall pick. It's not a sexy pick – but he's going to be a day one starter probably at left tackle. Plug and play guy. Yeah, you've got Matt Pert, uh, who was highly regarded as somebody that was a little raw, but his game translates well, and uh, he'll probably be another piece on that offensive line within a year. Uh, They drafted a guard in Shane Lemieux, and they drafted an inside and an outside linebacker, another outside linebacker, cornerback late. You know – it's a very unsexy draft, but I would say they got better overall. Yeah, and um, just to go back on that part, this was a prospect uh, Nick and I were looking at pretty heavily, and we kind of both conclude that he really shouldn't start year one, if at all, or like just play a few games. He really needs to add strength uh, to his frame, um, but he probably should have been selected at in the third round. Um, and they were able to land him at the bottom of the third round. So I thought that was a pretty good pick. They really built um, their linebackers um, and kind of their offensive line depth. And it's come to see you, but it was like kind of like we need to build the trenches and we don't need to go after those skilled players. And it's kind of concerning that they didn't try and get a better wide receiver target for Daniel Jones. But <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, definitely, it seems like they're definitely, definitely trying to at least give Daniel Jones some help on with protection. I mean, they picked th- picked up three offensive linemen in the first what five rounds, Daniel and also, like you said, four linebackers. Yeah, twenty four fumbles by Daniel Jones last year. Um, they're, yeah. they're, that's definitely a. Uh, a reflection on what they decided to do in the draft. I mean, they got a lot of holes as well, just like the Redskins, but it seems like they're definitely going with the, with the safe moves. I mean, they didn't pick up any skill guys on the well, offensive side. Well, at running side. back, they don't really need to. They have Saquon Barkley. Yeah, but who knows how long that'll last. Yeah, fair. You know, Contract running back will fall off the side of the earth in a, in a year, especially a big – hitter like Saquon Barkley. That's I mean, just point. look at Todd Gurley. 
That's true. He was dominant. I mean, he was even dominant this year, but towards the end of the year, he uh, kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more like a mile-a-minute like mile mentality going into the season. And, I mean, considering the nature of the running back role, it's – it's it it's a grind. Yeah. On mm-hmm. on 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 anyone. So. I mean the yeah. the Ravens have a solid running back core, and they even picked uh, J.K. Dobbins in the, the second round. Like, I mean, it's I think it's one of those things where I feel like maybe a committee role, uh, like I think, like a committee approach to running backs could be a smarter move for every team, just because you at least can rotate guys that are fresher. And you don't overwork again. Yeah, yeah. The Giants have actually are kind of famous. Well, I wouldn't say famous, but they've always kept a running back by committee approach um, until they drafted Saquon Barkley, and I think that's kind of what Jerry Reese really preferred in this team, the previous uh, Giants general manager. But they've always had really poor running attacks, uh, rushing attacks from that running back uh, by committee. Yeah, I mean, they might be trying to help out Saquon Barkley with all these offensive linemen in the first five rounds too. Yep. Give him some help. So, I mean, he already got injured for a little bit last year. So, give him some help. That is not getting injured and prolonging his career, essentially. Lost my my fantasy uh, football league because of that. (laughs) Um, I want to wrap I want to wrap up uh, draft talk by going into a little bit of a lightning round talking about every um, Redskins draft pick. Uh, Obviously, certain guys we don't need to talk about too much, but it'd be good to hear a discussion about some of these other guys. that uh the Redskins picked up so I'll just I'll just start from the top I really don't think there's much needs to be said here but Chase Young first so first round second overall um I would say the stance is pretty universal across all four of us phenomenal player and a great addition to the Redskins defense if you had one word to use on Chase Young what would it be like dominant I would say dominant too (laughs) I mean beast is what I would go with (laughs) I hope you're at least uh, at least a little dominant being the second overall pick in the NFL draft. Okay. Actually, wait. Can I change mine? I want to go with I want to go with pliable. Pliable. <laughs> the Tom Brady, the number two overall pick. He's so pliable. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Chase Young's a beast. Well, All right, they also on. said that Chase Young uh, is not done growing, and he could end up being like six eight in a couple years. He's so not done growing. Jeez. We could no, say he's pretty young. It's a big ass motherfucker. Yeah. So that Julius Peppers comp, like you're really thinking about that, like just like that mountain of an edge rusher. It's just yeah, like wow. Yeah, he is 21 years old, and he is six five. God damn. So that is nuts that he could potentially go to six eight. All right, let's jump down to the next pickup by the Redskins. Uh, Antonio Gibson, a running back out of Memphis. What do y'all think about that? I love this pick. Um, when we when it first happened, I you know Rahul and I were both kind of like, eh, have to do some research. Don't know much about him. I've I've watched a lot of his film, and I'm getting really really high on him. Uh, you know, I think first of all, he's going to play running back and receiver. He's versatile. Kind of a smaller guy, spark plug, ran a 4.39, so the guy's fast. Uh, I love the way he cuts, um, you know, inside to outside. Um, he's not a one-cut-and-go guy. He can make people miss. He's not dancing. He's very fluid in the way that he can cut, and I think that's going to translate well to the NFL. Um, sometimes, you know, guys that dance around, it can be harder to translate to the NFL because guys are just going to tackle you when you're trying to dance. But the way that he cuts – is a lot more fluid and it's while he's running. Um, and I think, I think he's going to be really good for this team. And I think he's also going to be a day one contributor. And to add to that, Nick, um, I think when that pick was made, I was just kind of shocked because there were a lot of prospects that were falling at that time. You had Ashton Davis, who we really liked as a safety free safety weapon, um, and just a bunch of tackles that were also going that were a huge need um, with Trent Williams status up in the air. So I was kind of blindsided by the Antonio Gibson move. But after um, looking at some of the games, um, I'm really impressed uh, by his ability. His his vision um, before, um, like behind the line of scrimmage is okay. But his vision when he's out there in the field and doing juke moves to juke the safety out of his socks... I saw a play where he 
he juked someone so hard they fell down they tried to tackle him and they fell down again like Broke getting back up yeah it was incredible he's just he's electric and he's like six six foot and like 220 something pounds he's like he's a heavier back and he's definitely going to be a weapon that scott turner is going to use around um pretty much like running option like, well not running option routes but just you know running the flat and just doing all that and you mentioned um kind of like the dancing feel i think you were thinking of uh, matt jones who did a lot of dancing uh behind the line yeah. of scrimmage and then getting tackled for a loss and i think gibson point. does those moves um outside of the line scrimmage when he's actually running downhill and getting steam he's able to just evade tackles left and right so i'm a, a huge fan of this uh pick he doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires as running back he has like 33 touches or something as a running back yeah. um but i think initially when they start him out he's going to be set at the running back position um as a starter while he kind of picks up the tools of trade for wide receiver it is interesting to see like how they're going to use him because he i mean right now like you said he's more of a running back but it'll be interesting down the road a little bit to see how they might shift them to more of a wide receiver role as well and you can do a lot of different things with a guy like that like so, a lot of experimenting that they can do with that I, i'd say yeah, the um, NFL draft profile, they comped him to one uh, Buck Allen, and I didn't really see that. I kind of felt like he didn't really have a position I could describe. Like, there is that – there he did get comped to uh, Christian McCaffrey, um, but it's just kind of like an enigma because he's, he's quite a big player for the running back, um, but he's not necessarily kind of uh, like a huge – uh, wide receiver like we have Antonio Gandy Golden in the fourth round, which we'll talk about later. All right, why don't we go ahead and jump down then? Talk about the next pickup by the Redskins in the fourth round, 108th pick overall. Uh, offensive tackle Sadiq Charles out of LSU. He's so, our big starting left tackle. He, he's our hog molly. Yep, big ugly. Um, 20 years old, had a little bit of trouble at LSU, had multiple game suspension. I think it was due to marijuana. You know, it, it, he's he's a twenty year old kid, needs to mature a little bit. Apparently, he was pretty upfront and honest about that in the interview process. I'm not worried about it. Uh, he's a first round talent that we got in the fourth round, and he's going to be our starting left tackle now that Trent's gone. Yeah, I really like this pick because as soon as a Trent trade happened, it was like right before our pick, and we were just like. Bam, Lance Sadiq Charles, he's going to be our LT from now on. And that, it's like, it feels like having a tackle that young feels like he's going to grow alongside our quarterback, who's also a very young uh, player. Um, and that just, like, gets me excited. It's like, it's hard to describe having a young team uh, with developing pieces behind a competent coaching staff. Probably because the Redskins haven't had a lot of fair, fair. pieces in a while with a competent coaching staff. Yeah. That's I mean, I'd you say, say Jay pretty, Gruden wasn't a savior. <laughs> I'd say it's a pretty, pretty exciting time to be a Redskins fan right now. Uh, it's, it's early. It's yeah. early. But Charles plays with a mean streak. Uh, he finishes his tackles. It's just that there's going to be like some kind of like lack of experience, um, partially due to the suspensions. That'll probably get ironed out, and Dwayne will probably get sacked <laughs> quite a few more times than we'd like from the blind side, but I'm I mean, really excited for this pick. Um, and this is, um, if not for Chase Young, one of my favorite picks of the draft. I mean, Ron Rivera is more of a authoritarian coach, and like he's not going to be your buddy. I mean, we we we've seen Ron Rivera out in uh, Carolina for for a while now, and I mean, I I think we all know that he's not the nicest guy in the world. Also, so, uh, maybe yeah, yeah. I think he's, maybe, I think he's like a family man. In a lot of ways, and I think well, it yeah. shows, but he's not going to put up with any bullshit. Yeah. Like, he's going to have to arm around you when he needs to, but yeah. if you fuck up, you're gone. Like, he's not he's not Bill Belichick levels of, like, emotionless. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll be good for a, a player like that that might have had some immature problems in the past to have a coach like this that's not going to take that sort of shit from you. Yeah. Agree. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about the next pickup by the Redskins, also in the fourth round, 142nd pick overall. Antonio Gandy-Golden, wide receiver out of Liberty. Nick, let's start with you. Um, 
you know, this is a tough one. I, I think th- this is boomer bust, like right up to the right up to the bitter end. Uh, the guy's freak height weight guy. He was he six four two. I forget what exactly he is. Six four two twenty three. He's a big dude playing. He is a man among boys playing at Liberty. Uh, not the best quarterback throwing to him, you know. But he's going up and catching balls, you know, left and right. Um, he's jumping over people. Uh, he's making crazy sideline catches. Uh, not very fast, but you know, there's certainly potential there. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to translate to the NFL. He could translate very, very well to the NFL, but it's going to be tough. Yeah, and um, to add to that, uh, Nick, it's just that whenever I see Antonio Candy Golden just, like, mossing these small cornerbacks in, Liber- in Liberty and just, like, making these crazy eye-catching plays and noticing that he's not really getting any separation, he's just beating the shit out of all of these cornerbacks and safeties at the catch point. It's like, it's kind of worrying to me. Um, and like, I really like to draft wide receivers. that can get uh, more adequate separation in college, but I mean, this is, this is a fourth round pick um, for Antonio Gandy golden. And we do need a bigger red zone target. It's just hard to not see like shades of the other big wide receivers that we've had in the past. Like, uh, one Josh Doxson, for instance, or um, even um, Terrell Pryor that we had uh, free agent acquisition, like the bigger wide receivers that don't have either the speed or kind of the route running that you really want um, a receiver in your uh, team. So I'm kind of more negative um, on this pick, but you can't deny that it's very intriguing, his physical talents, and he, he popped off at Liberty for uh, two years. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to manhandle the, the small DBs at that level. I'd say. Um, I mean, he's not mm-hmm. going to be able to manhandle pretty much anyone for the most part at this level. So he's going to have to learn how to change his game at least a little bit, add some new aspects of it if he wants to be successful. Yeah, how to be press and and other things, just like kind of vary his routes a bit more. Um, yeah. rather than just trying trying to moss everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going to be able to catch over guys constantly in the NFL. There are other guys that are Absolutely. just as strong as just and faster than you are. So. That's true. All right, let's move on then. Let's talk about the next draft pick by the Redskins. Fifth round, 156th overall, uh, Keith Ishmael, an offensive lineman out of San Diego State. Rahul, let's start with you. So this was – so going back a few drafts to – um. We drafted Darius Geis uh, in the second round. Uh, we traded back after, and I think this was because the Lions had drafted Carryon Johnson, the running back that we were targeting. Um, and when we traded back in that second round to pick Darius Geis, we also selected with one of the dra- one of the pick compensations for that trade to trade down, uh, Jerron Christian, uh, who was a swing tackle that was kind of undersized um, and. Honestly, at this point, he probably won't even make the team, and he hasn't had many good snaps at all. So that's kind of what I'm worried about Keith Ishmael, is that Kyle Smith, just like that trade, he traded back, got an, in, well, an O-lineman um, that isn't really heavy enough for the NFL, um, but it is very fast, and he might just might be manhandled all the time in the NFL and won't be able to get significant snaps. So, But he is... Um, he is definitely a piece that we can look to compete with Piersbacher and uh, Wes Schweitzer slash Wes Martin for an interior guard spot at backup. Yeah, yeah. This pick is a lot like Ross Piersbacher last year. He can play guard and center. So he's going to be a versatile, you know, swing guard or a center is a backup. You know, he's really just there for competition, and I think it goes back to really what they've been trying to do in free agency and this whole offseason. They're bringing in guys to compete. They're not going to bring in anything crazy right now, and I think they're trying to establish a baseline with a lot of these positions. Um, I think the D-line is really the only place on this team that's really well built out, and everywhere else we're just we're bringing guys in to compete. We're going to see who's going to take their take the starting spots. We're gonna see how they do, and we're gonna go from there. Um, but kind of what you gotta do with a young team. 
it's a young team and it's a team coming off at three and 13 records. So this is kind of what you got to do when you're implementing a whole new scheme and just a whole new culture uh, with the head coach. So, you know, that's pretty much all there is to it with that pick. Got it. All right. Let's move on then. Let's talk about um, Kalik. Fifth round. Yep. Fifth round, 162nd pick overall. Kalik Hudson, linebacker out of Michigan. Don't like the pick. Um, the guy was rated as an undrafted free agent, priority free agent. You know, we got him in the fifth round. I think the only thing he's got going for him is the fact that he's versatile. He played that Viper position at Michigan and replaced Jabril Peppers, who did the same thing, which means he can play linebacker and safety. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Just he's not as good as Jabril. I'm not really sure if the athleticism is there. It's hard to say. I'm not really a fan of this pick. I would like to add in favor of Kalik um, is that we do have a spot uh, that will probably be opening up on the roster for him. Um, Sean Dion Hamilton might not be resigned. And of course, JHC is on his way out. So he can um, take that position pretty like there's a chance for him to stick on the roster. I just think that his impact is going to be on special teams mainly and it probably will never go past special teams he's yeah, just that's that athletic um to reach that point and that's kind of just how i feel about the Kalik hudson pick and i could be terribly horribly wrong but god damn it i'm the authority on this podcast. <laughs> yeah i think uh, all right the coach I think uh, Coach Riverboat mentioned that he's going to be mostly a, uh, a special teamer, at yep. least to start out. And, you know, you never know where it goes from there, but that's pretty much all it is with this pick. Um, so, all right. All right. Well, let's wrap it up by talking about Rahul's favorite round, the seventh round of the draft. <laughs> um, seventh round, 216th pick overall, Cameron Curl, a safety out of Arkansas. Rahul, how about you start with this one? So, just like Nick hates the Hudson pick, I do not like the curl pick. It's just, I felt like there was a chance um, to go after Hunter Bryant, um, the tight end, who I really liked. Um, and it turns out he turned he became undrafted, potentially due to injuries. Um, but there were also other players uh, at the safety position and the cornerback position, which we did not draft Um in 2020 that we could have selected and said, so Gary McCurl has a pretty intriguing athletic profile. Um, but I think I see him most at the strong safety position and you can kind of move him around. He is, uh, just like that favorite. We V word we have versatile, um, <laughs> that you can move him around and kind of play him everywhere. But I just, I wish we, had a better seventh round um, in terms of talent that we could immediately use in our team. And that's kind of a tall order to ask um, as a seventh round pick, but there were a few picks that I felt like could have replaced some of our weaker positions like tight end or cornerback. Yeah. I, I guess this pick is going to put him probably in competition with DeShazer Everett, um, who's our backup strong safety to Landon Collins. And he's also our special teams ace. Um, captain yep yeah he is our captain but you know he's 28 years old now and you're trying to get younger as a team overall so you know I, I, my guess is you'll see curl and everett go at it for that backup strong safety spot and if curl or someone like kaliki hudson uh develops into you know that ace gunner for special teams then DeShazer everett could be out of a job here Okay, let's jump down and talk about the last pickup by the Skins in the 2020 draft. Seventh round, 229th pick overall, James Smith-Williams, a defensive end out of North Carolina State. There, He is a very athletic prospect, but as Nick mentioned previously, the D-line is one of the best positions on this team. So you see this prospect is potentially starting out on the practice squad or something like that, but it's really hard to project where he'll be in the NFL. Um, just because he's had a slew of injuries through college, and that slew of injuries did affect his production as well. Yeah, uh, he was at NC State for five years, and I think he finished with seven career sacks. Six of them came in one year, and pretty much every year he finished uh, with a major injury. This is really all it is. It's it's an opportunity for a guy to play his way onto the practice squad. Um, like you said, Rahul, he's got the makeup 
Uh, he's got the athleticism uh, that, you know, he, he's a project. You see if he develops into something, but he's not going to, he's not going to fix a need. He's not really going to be a contributor. Um, I, I don't think he's going to contribute at all, to be frank with you. I don't think he'll ever start for us or ever play in a game. You know, he's going to end up on the practice squad as his best case scenario, and I don't think it's going to go any further from there. Yeah, and when you look at last year at Jimmy Moreland, he actually had a significant impact nickel corner. Maybe not the best nickel corner that we've ever had, but he definitely filled in at a pinch, and he was one of our best seventh-round selections, I'd say. Yeah, and, and, and It's hard Jimmy to see Moreland, this as that. Yeah, and Jimmy Moreland could actually get a lot more playing time this year as well. Um, you know, he showed so much potential in preseason. He was a ball hawk. He made a lot of plays, and we didn't get that much of it, that kind of Jimmy Moreland in the regular season because he was a rookie and, you know, he's coming from JMU uh, Division One, AA. You know, you're playing up against NFL wide receivers now, and he got burned quite a bit. But you know what? I think if the game slows down for Jimmy a little bit more, he could be really good for us. And, um, you know, that's that's – a pretty that's what you're hoping for from a seventh round pick that's really your ceiling right on any seventh round pick is somebody that can contribute like that uh-huh i don't think this guy is going to contribute though james smith williams yeah this is kind of just a this is kind of just a fuck it pick you know <laughs> i, I mean, like right. most, uh, most yeah. of the picks uh, in, in the back end of the seventh round i'd say are pretty much you know hope for the best see what happens sort of thing yeah. No, I, I uh, actually do want to talk about um, that AS Moss a little bit. I think the foot injury um, he sustained at the combine really hurt teams uh, that wanted to kind of uh, get a clean check on his medicals and stuff like that. So that dropped him down all of these boards to become undrafted. But I really like that we went after a blocking tight end like Moss, um, that he could block great. He can box out with his frame. It's just that. His production is kind of wonky, and it's just he needs to work more as a receiver and really learn the tight end position. He can do that um, at the Washington Redskins, um, and he potentially could start. Our tight end core is pretty weak, um, even though the our front office and coaches don't think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at the makeup of some of our other tight ends, uh, a lot of them are more blocking guys that we're hoping to get some production out of as pass catchers down the road, like Hale Henches and Jeremy Sprinkle are two guys that come to mind. And Thaddeus Moss, you know, similarly to Hale Henches at Alabama, played that blocking tight end. Uh, he played that role to a T. And, you know, the, the guy blocks like a motherfucker. He's good at it. That's his strength. And he's a reliable catcher of the football but his route running is not that great. So, I mean, if he's throwing the ball, he'll catch it. You know, he's not going to drop the ball. But And he scored two touchdowns in the national championship game this year too. Um, so I think he I think he got a lot of attention toward the end of this past season, you know, when LSU made its run and he was being fairly productive in those, you know, in those college football playoff games. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's a medical concern there with his foot and, frankly – He's not going to be an immediate contributor as a pass catcher in the NFL. But, you know, we'll see how he develops. And we've got a lot of guys, a lot of tight ends on the Redskins roster who are big question marks. And it's going to be an all-out war, man. They're going to battle. They're going to battle. Three guys are going to end up on the roster. Competition breeds the best talent. That's right. Well, all the best to the Redskins this year after this draft. But I just want to wrap up draft talk with one last question for you all. Did this draft make Kyle Smith the GM of the Washington Redskins? My immediate reaction is no, um, because I felt like there were a lot of picks I would have done differently, but we don't have access to all the medical histories. We don't have access to the interviews that they make. So there could be prospects that did shine um, better than others. It's just that I feel like if I'm Dan Snyder, um, I look at the relationship he has with Coach Rivera to make the decision on whether or not he should be a general manager. And Coach Rivera had nothing but good things to say about how Kyle Smith managed the board, managed the draft. And I bet he would be a giant advocate for Kyle Smith to be a GM. And you have to make this decision kind of soon because if you're not a GM, you can pretty much be picked up by another team to be promoted to the GM role. 
So I feel like looking at Kyle Smith's previous draft history, which is kind of stellar, I would promote him to the Redskins general manager uh, if I were Dan Snyder. Um, I think the thing that uh, – the biggest weak point of the Redskins in Dan Snyder's ownership over these past 20 years is the fact that the front office and the coaching staff were never on the same page. There was no communication there, and I think you know that there was always a secrecy with – Dan and Bruce wanting to do their own thing, whether it be trading up to get RG3 when Shanahan would have rather had somebody else like a Russell Wilson or a Ryan Tannehill, and then building with the draft picks that you gave up, um, or trading for Alex Smith. You know, that's something that Bruce and Dan did on their own, and the, the coaching staff has no input on a lot of these decisions. And I think one of the biggest pros to Ron Rivera coming here is the fact that he had final say, whether or not that actually pans out. You know, a lot of coaches have come here with final say and then Snyder mucks with it. But if Ron, if that is true and Ron Rivera has final say, then I think what leads to success for the Redskins is a general manager that Ron can work really well with and, does this draft make Kyle Smith the GM? I think I need to give it a year to see how these players fit on the team and how they respond to Coach Rivera. Um, I think if the previous drafts continue to develop like they have and um, it, the previous drafts that Kyle Smith has has mostly led, um, you know, those, those guys continue to develop and this draft shows some promise. Uh, then I think it makes sense to make Kyle the GM and go from there and let those two guys lead the whole effort. Owner needs to get the fuck out. And, you know, I think they'll have more success doing that than anything else they've done. So we'll see. All right. All the best to the Redskins this year. And let's hope this draft leads to a lot of success for them. All right. Let's move on to some other DC sports. Let's talk about baseball a little bit, shall we? So going on with DC baseball, just want to talk about that Mike Rizzo, our GM, the Nationals GM, was backing up a return uh, of baseball naturally. Um, just want to reiterate Fauci's comments as well as other public health experts saying that they saying that an alternative for the MLB this season would be a shorter league, would be only playing in certain pre-approved stadiums, as well as adhering to social distancing when. Um, when having the game. So no fans in the stadium, players sit in the stands, six feet apart. Um, I guess I just want to talk about it. Chris, let's start with you on this one. Like, how do you think it will, how do you think the approach will be when it comes to having no fans and adhering to social distancing when it comes to the upcoming MLB season, if it even happens? I'm still not the biggest fan of it. Um, like, I'd love to see baseball back again. But I, I just don't see the players really springing for this, or at least not all of them. And I think, like, if you don't get all the players on board with it, or at least the MLBPA, it's going to be awkward to try and essentially force players because then players aren't going to enjoy it and they're not really going to care about it. And then you're also going to always have this asterisk above the season. Even if you do win the World Series, people are always going to argue with it of like, eh, was it really an actual season? Because it wasn't like, like, I guess like if I had to, like I personally, I want, I still want to see baseball on my TV, but I just don't see a world that it works for the players that still allows fan enjoyment as well. Well, I think it would be tough, but I do want to push back a little bit on the uh, st- on a shortened season because you know what team won two of their three Super Bowls and strike shortened seasons? The Washington Redskins. <laughs> Both in 1982 and nineteen eighty seven, they were strike shortened seasons. In eighty two, it was only a nine game regular season, and in eighty seven, they actually had three games worth of replacements come in, and that's where the movie The Replacements comes from because the Redskins won all three of those games, including one game against the Cowboys team where most of their starters played. I think uh, it would be interesting to see how, 
like what happens like right before the baseball season starts, like how how we're dealing with the virus and stuff like that. So, but uh, on a personal note, not having baseball season would be okay with me, um, just because we'd still be world champions, uh, <laughs> and that would be. Re- it's just like I think having sports while such a dramatic uh, pandemic um is occurring is just kind of weird but we do need that kind of like outlet where we're not dealing with this 100 percent of the time but it's just hard to balance with like player safety um and other things uh that go into well our current status at the time yeah i mean we're, we're obviously to start the season we're obviously going to have to see a decrease you know in the outbreak and we already kind of a little bit like are but like it still hasn't taken like any real downturn um so we're gonna have to see an obvious downturn through the coronavirus to even begin to think about having the season right now it's just kind of like oh maybe if when this you know ends we'll we'll do it but for now like yeah. You can't risk I, players' health no matter what. And right now, it's still risking players' health. Yeah, it's definitely sure. still risking health right now. Um, and, and this whole situation sucks, and it's tough on everybody. And understanding that balance between uh, adapting to our current circumstances and letting things go on like the NFL draft um, in a different way, I think – if you can adapt, I think that's great. I think what the draft did, I had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, I think it went off really, really well. Um, but, you know, just some things you, you just aren't able to adapt to given our circumstances right now, you know. so it's, I felt like the it's, draft, other than the player soft stories, which are like a million of them, was actually the best it's ever been being full I virtual. Loved, you got to see the I GM families, their yeah. dogs, their cats, everything. And it was like... And whatever was happening in in the Titans head coach's house, the first round pick, that was weird. Um, But yeah, I really like that. And I feel like if baseball uh, were to try to like go back to like pretending like nothing's ever happened, it's just, it's hard to do. I mean, they're not going to do that. Like that's pretty much guaranteed that Mm -hmm. like they're not going to pretend like nothing happened. Um, but it's, I would it seems like whatever happens this year, this whole season's kind of going to be a wash. Yeah, it's or like, is kind of how you said like it. Chris. If the Nats win this World Series, it's like I mean, yeah, but you know, there's like an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we and we all know the only asterisk should be in the city of Houston. I don't think there's an asterisk True. for a shortened season. I think if you, you know, I think at the, in the grand scheme of things, if you have a regular season of some length and then you have a similar postseason where a champion comes out of it i think that's perfectly legitimate i mean I'm not issue with that personally I, i'm not worried about the the shortened season per se i'm worried yeah. about that they're playing in arizona florida you know like at, it's kind of out of touch a little bit like you don't have yeah. any fans there it's not gonna feel like a real baseball game like i mean i don't know if you all have seen any of the korean baseball league games or you know, if you ever if you saw that Orioles uh, game a couple years back at their stadium, yeah. um, when there was the Baltimore riot, riots going on, I mean those games felt very ominous and awkward. And having an entire season of that, I don't know that, that that's a asterisk season for for me. Yeah, so let's go ahead and move on. Talk about the Nats um, in more detail. Our hopes at third base, as as everyone knows, we lost Anthony Rendon to the Angels in the offseason, and we have a little bit of a hole, or a pretty significant hole at third base. Um, we do have Carter Keyboom, but during spring training, before coronavirus uh, uh, reared its ugly head, we saw a little bit of shaky play from him. Uh, do you guys think that the Nats will move forward with Carter Keyboom? Do you think they're going to try and look to another option? What are your all's thoughts on that? Let's start with Chris. Uh, uh, I'm I'm pretty worried about him because, like you said, <laughs> he had a pretty shaky spring training, especially in the field. Um, I mean, he played 14 games and had three errors on them, which is not great. It's only a eight or a eight seven five fielding percentage, which is pretty trash as well. So seeing that, I mean, and it's a small sample size and it is spring training and he's learning the new the new position but 
seeing that in the beginning of the season just in the field is pretty worrisome. And then, I mean, his this, his bat was pretty abys- like not very good either, which, I mean, maybe he was working on something. You never know with spring training. Um, but he's definitely got to turn it around if he wants to have any real career uh, in the majors. Cause, I mean, he also just had a 233 average. Um and uh, OPS of only six nine five, which which isn't that great either. De- definitely, definitely worrisome. I'm I'm not optimistic at all about him. Yeah, I would um look towards a midseason uh, acquisition um to find our answer at third base. Um, if Kibum kind of keeps up this kind of pretty shaky play going into the season, uh, if there is a season. Um, but yeah, uh, it's probably leaning towards the latter. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point you bring up, Rahal, about a midseason acquisition. I think uh, I think the Nats have kind of shown that they're willing to start maybe a little slow and pick things up and make some changes as the season goes on. Rizzo's always been good about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the, the thing to balance out here, um, if you remember last year early on, uh, Victor Robles had some really big uh, base running issues. He was getting tagged out on some really bad decisions quite a bit early on, and that was something that over time he was able to fix. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, it, it, it might just be he needs playing time, and he might be, if we're willing to give a little bit of leeway to those early mistakes, he might be able to develop. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to consider the fact that Drupal Cabrera might have to fill in for some third base starts this year and maybe somebody else. Yeah. And if it's not working with Carter, then they're probably going to have to make an acquisition later on. If they're, you know, if they're within contention, uh, like last year, they'll have to consider some acquisition. If, uh, if he doesn't do well and they don't make any trades, Starling Castro and, and Cabrera can both shift over there. Um, yeah. I don't really, it'll probably be cabby that they end up moving over there. Yeah. Um, and then you know Howie will will play in tandem probably with Starlin Castro, I would assume. Yeah. But that's the one good thing that I like about that Starlin Castro signing this off season is he can play he a couple of different positions. Yep. Um, which allows for the Nats to kind of have a safety net if Carter Keyboom uh, doesn't pan out. Um, you talked about Victor Robles and his mistakes. The thing with him is most of his were mental. Um, and things that you can kind of just change and uh, teach a lot easier than Carter Keyboom, who has been making ability mistakes, such as his OPS average and uh, fielding uh, average as well. Do you feel like Robles was a bit over-eager at batting um, when we were in the playoffs? Yeah, that's what I I was getting a feel of, too. I I feel like he was just... When he came into the league, I think he was very, very raw and unsure of himself pretty much and kind of like he's trying to over prove himself and do too much um i think they settled him down got him to just play the game and i think as soon as and enjoy the game and i think that might have been a lot of juan soto helping him out with that Mm -hmm. um and i as soon as he changed his thinking i think it uh really benefited him for the better for sure um yeah, I think hopefully that the Nats are able to fix that hole at third base, whether it be through Keyboom, whether it be through a midseason acquisition, um, whether it be through shifting players around. But, you know, when baseball gets back, you know, the Nats are going to be a good contender, t- good contending team. We got arguably the best pitching rotation in the league now with Scherzer, Strauss, and Corbin. Um, we got a dynamite hitter in Juan Soto and – Ultimately, the Nats are a force to be reckoned with um, in this upcoming season. Let's jump down into hockey then. Let's talk about uh, NHL. Talk about how uh, Alexander Ovechkin and Wayne Gretzky went head-to-head on NHL this, uh, uh, on the NHL video game and it's for charity. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a fun kind of event um, to support uh, the coronavirus pandemic. It was all a charity uh, for that, and that, that was kind of fun uh, watching two greats and Ovi getting excited. Ended up in a one-on-one tie, uh, one game apiece. 
but yeah, I mean, there, it was it was fun, something to get your mind off the uh, off the whole pandemic for for an hour or two. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure y'all can find videos online if you want to go look for it. Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, let's. Why don't we go ahead and talk about a sport that we didn't talk about really at all last week? Let's talk about basketball real quick and the Wizards. Uh, let's fire up the rumor wagon. Uh, the Wizards are looking to join or at least be a part of the big baller brand. Apparently, scouts have sent over people to scout LaMelo Ball. What do y'all, how do y'all feel about that? So not to like go way sports center on you guys, but do you feel like adding LaMelo Ball would be a gigantic distraction into whatever our GM is trying to build for the Wizards? I don't see why they're really going for him. Like, I think they're probably sending out right now. scouts. I think they're just sending out scouts just because, and like I'm sure pretty much every team is. But I don't see a way that he really fits. Um, it seems like he's going to be a first round pick, and I don't really see a world that Lamelo Ball fits into the the scheme that they're trying to build right now. Like I mean, we've talked about in the past that they need a big guy, and yep. Lamelo Ball is not a big guy. So. We have bemoaned that for how long? Just yeah. like we need that center, we need that big guy who can. Because I mean, they already we got like that. Like Bradley Beal, Hachimura, and John Wall are going to be our starters, uh, our small guy starters. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what Lamelo Ball is on riding the bench as a first rounder—that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, and I just want to say it's like I feel like when the Wizards move, um, compared to other teams, it feels a lot more. I don't know. It feels like a less transparent than how other teams would move. Um, for making uh. Tra- uh transaction like um just picking up players and stuff like that so just like seeing the interest in lamello ball is kind of like eye-opening it's just like oh shit it's like is this actually going to be someone we're going to pick up in the draft Mm, i hope not (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's go ahead and wrap things up and let's talk about uh the other hot topic in sports right now the last dance the new michael jordan wizards legend michael jordan wizard legend (laughs) Has a has a documentary out uh, that's airing on ESPN currently. Two new episodes air uh, tonight. We're recording um, on Sunday, so uh, yes. Yep. So, have y'all gotten a chance to watch The Last Dance? Looking to watch it? Um, I've watched the first two episodes, and I think it's a really good documentary. It's really good at highlighting uh, Jordan's um, career uh, with the Bulls and. Presumably, they're going to go into the Wizards a little bit later in the doc, but it's really good at tying up. Um, I hope they did like, dedicate yeah. a whole episode just to Michael Jordan on the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> one one episode to his baseball career, one episode to the Wizards. Um, oh yeah, that phenomenal wait. baseball career. But yeah, no, uh, I think it's a really good documentary, and it really um, kind of ties together certain psychological um, decisions and certain psychological um, playmaking that kind of stems from Jordan's childhood. Like talking about his family, how his father was, how um, how his brothers were, and how it kind of fueled Jordan's drive to play the game, and also diving into a little bit like about Scottie Pippen as well. Scottie Pippen being a very undervalued player, um, the you know very undervalued contract that he got, despite being the second best player in the league at that time. Yeah, but that contract, I think, was just because he really wanted that security. Um, just, like, going back to his background and just having that security um, from a team uh, that they do believe in him and that they're, you know, like, providing for him through many years, I think that was worth it more for Scottie Pippen than massive amounts yeah. of money but on a short deal. For sure, for sure. Also talking about how Jerry Krause is – was very useless as a GM, it seemed. Yeah. Not, not not entirely useless as he did pick up a lot of great players for the Bulls. But just the fact that he essentially someone quoted in the doc that he essentially had short man syndrome. Like yeah. he felt very jealous and envious of the fact that he was not the one to pick up Michael Jordan. And that really stuck with him throughout his career on the Bulls and ultimately what drove a wedge going into that season that last season do you um, feel like it painted michael jordan in a more positive light than he should have gotten apparently like uh, we've only seen the first two episodes yeah. and apparently later in the series he is painted in more of a negative light michael jordan yeah. himself said that people won't like him at the end of the the documentary 
which I've which someone speculated they're going to show footage of Jordan fighting his teammates at practice, which honestly I'm very excited to see. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess that wraps it up for us um, on the DC Sports Brain Trust. Thank you all for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, uh, email us. We'll have all that information available in the description um, of the episode. Uh, Chris, Rahul, Nick, thank you all for talking uh, and providing your insights on the world of DC sports at the moment. Um, and to our listeners, we hope to hear you or see you next week. Bye.